Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Howard Drew Karsh. And for those who don't know me, I've been a successful realtor in Canada's largest market for over 30 years. And in the latter part of my career, I co-founded Right at Home Realty, Canada's largest independent brokerage with a roster of over 5,500 agents. In 2020, I retired to start this podcast, and it's been a wonderful opportunity to interview people in real estate and related industries to find out about their journey, challenges, and to get their insight on the real estate business. Today, my guest is one of those people, Andrew Bauerbank. Andrew um, is, and I want to make sure I get it right, is the Vice President of Market Development at the Canadian Wood Council. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Nice to be here, Howard, and uh, good to see your face again. It's been a while. It has. So normally I go into a very straight introduction, but this is different. This is Andrew Bowerbank. So here we go. And Andrew, you get to rebut once I, once I finish. I've known Andrew for over 20 years. Um, I met him when I started karate in, uh, in my 50s. Um, he is a, a remarkable student of martial arts, um, black belt in, mon- in many disciplines, um, my family thanks you for not killing me, and I certainly do. I, I, was, I was able to survive your training. He's also an incredible artist in terms of wood. Um, he's been a teacher um, at Humber. Um, he's a very smart and uh, focused, on, uh, focused on the best things in life, focused on the climate, ecology. Um, he has a lovely wife who's a teacher. Two two daughters who uh, the last time I saw them they were they, they are still twins of course they were twins he dropped off at our house and screamed well he was out and screamed in our house so I'll always remember that <laughs> so Andrew welcome to the podcast um, why don't you go ahead and tell uh, you know tell the viewers a bit about your background in in business and and what you do at the Canadian Wood Council yeah thanks Howard uh, as I mentioned you know it's a pleasure to be here and, and to see you again and you know brings back a lot of memories right. Uh, it's amazing how life changes, um, you know, for me growing up since I was eight years old, I've been immersed in traditional Japanese martial arts and, uh, you know, been very fortunate as you were as well to um, learn from one of the great masters in the country, Masami Tsuroka, who passed away a number of years ago, but he was actually recognized as the father of Canadian karate, received the uh, Order of Ontario. Uh, he sent me to Japan when I was 18. And that was an eye-opening experience because it was uh, a year of bare-knuckle fighting, um, something that people in today's society just can't fathom. But it's uh, it's a it's a discipline that has carried through, and obviously life changes. And uh, you, you know, you get uh, two wonderful daughters uh, heading to university uh, in September, and uh, you know your focus changes. But that memory, that experience, and what we did over those years. Uh, you know, just really helped define the rest of my life. And I think it's the discipline of all of that that uh, has allowed my career to flourish the way it has. Uh, combining that with something my father taught me and, and his career was very much, uh, he was very much a strategist and a, um, a visionary when it came to following trends in the marketplace. He uh, followed um, the entertainment industry, mostly on the technology side, but through audio and video and uh he was involved in the, uh, you know, the introduction of VHS and, and beta tapes and then over the DVD and, and now everything's streamed. But when he was, uh, when he was alive, uh, he was the, the head of 20th Century Fox Film in Canada and also with the Ryan Pictures and MGM United Artists and made quite a name for himself. And he's, you know, I just watched him just watch these trends from technology change and shift and he would move with that. 
And so what I had done, you know, back from when you first met me and I was into a lot of, uh, you know, wood design work, industrial designer by trade, that's my background. So I focused a lot in wood products and custom furniture and things like that. Um, but then I got really fortunate because I have a, a very strong personal interest in the environment, natural environment. And at the time, boy, I'm going to go back to probably about 98. <laughs> that's quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an opportunity come my way where the, the opportunity to combine my, my design, my love for design with love for the environment came together. And the Toronto and Region Conservation Authority under the CEO at that time, Brian Denny, saw a value in trying to create a relationship between the property developers that were trying to get the land in and around the GTA and find a, 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 a place to talk around how development and natural environment can coexist. And what came out of all that was this new movement at a time around green buildings and energy efficiency. And now people listening to this podcast will know what a green building is and likely even need certification and stuff like that. But back then, no one even knew what that was. So it was my job to really try to connect with the developers and demonstrate a different way of designing and building facilities and buildings and even communities that were more sensitive to the natural environments. And that really set a whole path, new path for my career and very much an outward, uh, you know, outspoken person. I love marketing and development and, and strategic planning and business development and being able to work on some of the very first green building projects in the country was an amazing experience. I did the first new platinum building in, in Ontario uh, and then a number of other great projects with various municipalities and master plans. Um, but then I came into an opportunity where I was um, on the board of directors for the Canada Green Building Council and actually became the first executive director of the Toronto chapter. So again, very early stages when it comes to developing um, new ideas and markets and new building technologies. Uh, so that was fun to kind of figure out how to introduce something new to the market. And then from there, uh, I was basically invited to be the, the first uh, CEO for the World Green Building Council. Now, you can imagine an association uh, around green buildings would be very influential. But for listeners who don't know the World Green Building Council, we grew that from eight member nations when we started to over 60 countries with green buildings within four years. Mm. And I had a seat at the United Nations Environmental Program. Mm. So the ability to go from local domestic efforts and business and then start playing on the international stage, you know, having breakfast with Al Gore and things like that is something you'll never gonna, you're never going to forget. And even working with the leaders of the UN and seeing what they have to go through for, for international uh, diplomacy is, is amazing. So I did that for about five years, and then I come back to Canada and started advising a number of big companies like Magna, Enbridge, and, and a few of the utilities around the Greater Toronto area on uh, green strategies and business uh, protocols that we could use to shift uh, practices towards a more a greener future. And there's there's money to be made in that, and people started seeing the value not only of being first to market, but also what return on investment was. And that allowed me to sort of create a business plan that has stuck with me today. And I spent quite a few years at Ellis Dawn and 
WSP. Uh, for those of you who might know, uh, WSP is the second largest engineering firm in the world and uh, out of Montreal. And all around the sustainability efforts that they do. And, and then uh, just uh, recently, about eight months ago, came on to the Canadian uh, Wood Council. I've been having fun ever since developing a new strategy for them. And, you know, Andrew, because, you know, we have been friends for so long. As I watched your career, I did see how you just made steps that, that followed your passion, which was the environment. And you found, mm-hmm. you found high-level opportunities to, to be involved. And, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I really admire how, you know, you built your career. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's, just, you know, it's just nice to have a friend uh, and watch them grow. So, th- you know, thank you. And I know how busy you are, so thank you for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure, I, my pleasure. Um, I have some questions. I did tell some people you're coming here, so some people emailed me questions. Um, Let's start with kind of a very basic one is um, the future of wood in residential building. Let's say in, we could say Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I'm sure you're familiar with all those uh, areas. So how how do you you answer that uh, question? Well, you know, I I talked earlier about my career and how I follow trends. Um, Same thing is happening now in wood product applications for, for buildings as a whole. Uh, in the residential market, what we're seeing is a shift to multi-unit residential buildings and larger residential buildings, multi-unit, that are using what's called mass timber. So these are systems, uh, you know, you might be familiar with things like your two-by-four two by four structural uh, light frame systems that it's called. It's been with us for, for decades and decades. But now this idea of mass timber is really taking... Uh, as, it, as it sounds, a, a bulk mass of wood and building structural beams and columns with these. Um, they're not just the traditional old post and beam structure that you would have seen back or even in cottages today. These are engineered systems of laminated uh, material together to create extremely strong um, and, and long-lasting product uh, that is it's almost like, for example, we have what's called a cross-laminated timber system, a CLT. And if you can imagine a sheet of plywood on steroids, uh, you know, very thick, very large. Uh, but then you also have glue lamb systems, which is like your joists in large systems. That's actually used in, for example, aquatic centers to span large spaces. You know, the glue lamb systems can even span further than steel uh, structures. Hmm. So the, the new wave around mass timber in residential buildings is starting to get a real foothold right now. And we're actually about a, to publish a, a report on a, mid-ri- a mid-rise guide for, uh, for mass timber applications and wood products. So I think the, the future uh, and the change towards mass timber in residential is going to be amazing. Uh, we're not going to lose the standard uh, you know, light frame, but we're going to add to it. And mass timber is going to be amazing for larger scale structural buildings. You know, for our audience to hear from someone like you right in the midst of the, the leading edge, uh, I think it's great. It, it's just great information. So, uh, I, again, I'm really glad you, you made time for this. How, how much use is there in Toronto or if you want to go past Toronto and Canada right now in a percentage way of uh, wood being uh, employed in the use of buildings? It's, it's picking up dramatically. Uh, there, are, there are obviously obstacles and barriers right now with the pandemic situation we're in right now. There's a concern we have around pricing and supply. But these are all short-term things that you know, we'll talk about in a bit, I'm sure. Uh, but what we're seeing now is if you go down, for example, in Toronto and some of the older buildings on Queen Street, King Street, you know, and you go in to see some of the structures of these, these are all you know, 
large post buildings made of wood and they're solid, you know, out of a tree. Whereas these new systems I'm talking about, these engineered systems uh, emulate that to some degree, but with a much stronger product uh, for longer term um, reliability. I mean, even just yesterday, we did a massive uh, fire test in British Columbia to prove the, the mass timber products do not burn. Uh, the nature of the way fire works with wood is it, search for ox it searches for oxygen. And light frame, you know, as we, we've probably seen in the news lately, you know, in the middle of construction, unless you're really careful, you could lose an entire job site uh, uh, to, to fire. But a mass timber building, it's so dense, it, treat, it acts like a tree. When a tree burns, it, it chars on the outside, creates a barrier, and then basically the core still, still stays solid and strong. So for remediation purposes, for safety and security, getting people out of buildings, these new structures, these new engineering systems are really performing exceptionally well. You know, concrete under extreme heat pops, steel warps, but mass timber exhausts uh, oxygen and, and depletes that. So it's, it's quite a, an amazing story around that that people just don't know about. And we're seeing a lot of the developers learning this, understanding that, starting to create systems uh, with wood products like these. And not only is it structurally sound, but if you leave these beams exposed, they're beautiful. And there's something about the indoor environmental quality, especially in an urban center, where people see feel better by being near natural products and natural materials. And we're seeing that now in hospitals and healthcare sectors and uh, where they're leaving large beams exposed because it gives that, that feeling of, of calmness to people. It's called biophilic design actually. And it's a field that is becoming very popular right now in the design community and wood and wood buildings are playing an integral part of that. And, and in terms of, and you did, I guess, introduce this idea of change. Uh, since you, since you started your interest in wood um, and following how people and companies deal with it, what's been the influence of technology on, on the development of, uh, of wood being more acceptable in, in building? Yeah, I think the technology factor is is key. Um, you know, as I mentioned, the idea of a, an older style post and beam house, for example, or cottage is is uh, it's good for aesthetics, but the structural integrity of these new technologies, the way they're creating these engineered wood systems, is just phenomenal. And just going to some of the manufacturing centers that I've been to before the pandemic, it's rivaling the sophistication of automotive manufacturing. So the, the way you laminate the, the, the different wood pieces together, the way they, they're using CNC machines to, to cut out the different parts, uh, the way they're using BIM technology for architectural engineering drawings and making sure everything lines up perfectly. It's also very good to use for uh, prefab modular systems and making sure that uh, you know, we can build these large uh, systems in a factory, ship it to site, and you're saving money on, on the manufacturing costs, the installation costs, and the shipping costs as well. So all around from a technology, but also a systems integrated process is really uh, taking things to the next level. There, there was an article I emailed you about a, a building, um, you know, a wood constructed building, and you said, uh, you know, that was my project. I can't remember what that was. Do you want to talk about that one? <laughs> I'm not sure, no. Oh, oh okay. 
then we won't. Remember, I sent you an email and I said, <clears throat> there's a building somewhere in the city that was all wood. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, there, there's, you know, even if you say that, Howard, there's, there's a bunch out there okay, right now. Maybe, so there's, yeah. you know, the, the, and even some of the ones that are under design right now, like George Brown College uh, has an amazing all wood building. Humber College has one coming up. Um, you know, there's so many, think, even right now, Waterfront Toronto is really pushing mass timber for all of their buildings. If you go out to BC, um, the Brock Commons residential building uh, at UBC is 18 stories tall and, and, and solid wood. At places in Europe, uh, the buildings are, are hitting 30 stories. So it's really design that's restricting it, not the material. It's amazing what's happening. I'm pretty sure it was the Humber College one. That I sent you. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I remember yeah, that one. Be, yeah, yeah. So and for me, you know, I'm in real estate uh, and and it was an eye opener to this. Like it's it's not widely known yet. Right. I mean, one of the yeah. challenges, uh, certainly the the uh, the manufacturers, uh, developers, people that look to um, cost benefits, you know, all the things that you have to look at when you're developing something. Uh, they've already undertaken. There's some benefits here. I mean, the fact universities have gone ahead and done it's a really good. I mean, it's a really good start. And developers, you know, they'll look at if the public wants it, they'll find a way to, you know, include it into projects and and to, uh, you know, to answer the, you know, kind of answer what the public wants. And and yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and exactly. it's just fascinating because it's so underappreciated. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. I, I think yeah. most people don't recognize what's going on in the in the wood building industry. Yeah, I mean, but again, if we kind of reflect on what we've talked about already with the trends and then also around green buildings, you know, we could say the same thing about green buildings 10 years ago, right? People just, they weren't aware of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, now not only the real estate community understands it, but even buyers are asking for certain elements of green components within homes, within buildings and office space. So the market's educated on green buildings. And I really think within the next five years, that same level of, of awareness, understanding around mass timber and, and the use of wood products within uh, you know, commercial, institutional, multi-residential buildings, it's going to make a big difference. And one of the game changers is, you know, it's the, it's the it's ease and, and light material compared to steel and concrete and it's assembly on site. It really reduces the construction process dramatically compared to, you know, standard steel and concrete buildings. The other benefit, you know, if you're looking at uh, from a climate change perspective, um, this takes a little bit more to get your head around a little bit, but the idea of embodied carbon or embodied energy, where materials that are naturally grown actually sequester carbon within the fibers of, of, of what they are. And wood is very much one of the, the, the top leaders or top uh, materials of that. So as it grows, as you know, plants suck in and breathe in carbon. It stays embedded within the fiber. And what we do is by harvesting a tree at a certain age, that carbon then stays locked into that material. So by putting that into into the buildings we're using, it actually becomes a carbon reduction or even a carbon neutral story Hmm. for using that kind of product, whereas steel and concrete are very carbon intensive to produce. So the, the, the climate change story is good. The, the fact that wood is the only renewable material in the construction sector, the only one. The fact that it has biophilic properties and health is, is, is amazing for human health. And then you have the manufacturing part. So there's so many benefits that are going to tip this trend in mainstream before we even realize it. You know, one of the companies I became familiar with is Delos. 
um, and you're, I'm sure you are. Um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think our mutual friend, Paul Galini. Yeah. Uh, um, that's how I found out about it. Um, and I've been watching them on social media. Why don't you talk about, because they are kind of in the area you're talking about. They're, they're focused on healthy buildings, correct? Yeah. I mean, I've known Paul for a very long time. I consider him a, a good friend. It's, it's been a while since him and I connected, but you know, Paul has had um, a very good success in his career and he's probably one of the champions in the green building movement uh, in Ontario. And I think, you know, he's very closely tied to the home builders association to build um, you know, he's had a, a long, long, a successful story in Empire Communities mm-hmm. and the work that he's doing now, you know, he carries that with him in everything he does. And really, that's an example of the type of champion you need at a given company to move this forward. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a number of others that we can name like that for sure. But, um, you know, it's that kind of value and that kind of leadership in the marketplace that's going to bring the technology to the development of the community and the awareness to the client as well. So we're going to get the benefit from all that. So people like Paul and others, you know, it's crucial that they keep doing what they're doing uh, because I think, you know, the, the type of product that we're going to end up developing and delivering to the marketplace is going to be far superior uh, and is really going to make an impact in the real estate community, I think. That's great. And, and it's interesting what a small world. I mean, you and I both know Paul. I met him. We were together on, um, it was called the uh, Chairs uh Chairs Council at uh, Habitat for Humanity, and he was right. a member of that. And um, um, Chris Chopic, we yeah, both yeah. know. Chris is a good guy. Yeah, yeah it's a small so we, world sometimes. It is state. a small world. Um, <laughs> okay, so here's some of the questions that were e- emailed in. I actually have uh, four. Um, what has always been a popular building material, but prices have seemingly skyrocketed due to the effects of COVID on the workforce manufacturing lumber. Uh, what effect is this having on the industry as a whole? And second part, is there any consensus as to when these prices might adjust? Yeah, it's having quite an impact and it really is a supply chain. Um, you know, I, we have some amazing manufacturers in this country, right across the country, actually, it, of all types of, of wood products, whether it's light frame systems, um, you know, joists, two by fours, all that stuff, right up to the big mass timber stuff we were talking about. You know, we are well recognized globally as, as producers of, of these products, but there's a ceiling on how much you can produce. And the problem is simple little things like the pandemic hits and everybody's at home doing renovations and they all want to buy a plywood sheet or a two by four. Mm-hmm. And that puts a big strain on a, a production line that's not used to or not ready for this big influx of, of purchasing. So things slow down and then you have uh, problems and, and issues always across borders with software lumber. Um, so many, it's almost like the perfect storm of issues that have, that have come up right now. But I want to give everybody confidence that the right people are working on this right now. It is a blip in the market as producers uh, start to catch up and, and prepare for the next uh, generation of, of product uh, delivery. And I think there's also a strong interest in uh, the international opportunities uh, for Canadian wood products. So all these things together, you know, I, every industry is, is seeing challenges right now because of the pandemic. Steel prices are up as well. Yes, wood is up dramatically, but don't forget wood is also used for paper and it's used for you know, soap furniture and flooring and so many different things. So the demand on the product is far and wide beyond just real estate. So it's a matter of just waiting for the market to, to, to balance a little bit with everything that's going on. 
but all the right players within the wood product sector is laser focused on this and getting ready to make those right adjustments fairly soon. I think so. Um, are you leaving? Nope. Nope. <laughs> I'm just adjusting my chair. <laughs> I, I, I told producer Adam, this is going to be the most fun because it's like, it's like interviewing someone who used to beat me up. Well, as soon as you start doing the little digs, I'm going to start putting him back, Howard. So oh, be careful. Oh, that's okay. As long as you can't hit me, I don't mind. Okay. As long as we do it zoom. Yeah. Um, how's the pricing situation affecting projects in general? Um, I'd assume that some builders are putting projects on hold because they're, they're having issues with quotes that they can no, no longer deliver at. And, and what's your experience with that part of the industry? Yeah, that's a, it's a bit all over the place. There's a few concerns for sure. We're seeing some projects that are um, you know, redesigning to be uh, built out of steel and concrete and things like that. Uh, so that's definitely a bit of a concern. I think the market is moving fast enough and well enough that it's going to bounce back quickly enough. Um, and I think there's also a, a real interest in what wood products can do in the, in the commercial sectors that once we get through all of this, things will be back. There's a number of key projects that I know of that are still moving forward, uh, even with the high prices that are happening. So it's not like we're seeing a mass exodus of, of projects uh, over to steel, for example. Uh, we are seeing some of the early ones that are still in design phase that still have time to, to restructure and save some money and then perhaps go to steel. But the ones that are already set in place, they're moving forward very quickly. And now, we're, we're at the, now that we're at the other side of the pandemic, we're also seeing new projects that are coming back with more confidence for wood. So we're definitely moving through a, uh, a lull in the system as, as a lot of uh, industries are. Okay, and, and is, is the bulk of lumber used uh, here, meaning Canada, is it sourced from Canada? Yeah, I mean, for sure. We do import some as well, and we export a lot, but we have the second largest boreal forest in the world. And even talking to some of our manufacturers who manage their own forests as well as crown land forests, you know, the amount of extraction they're doing is barely even touching what we have access to. Mm -hmm. So we have some amazing producers out there that are really on the top of their game for manufacturing that are supplying some of the best products we have in the country. So we're definitely looking after our own. Okay. And here's the last uh, question. Um, and this one is, uh, I normally stay away from political questions, but I figure, oh. listen, it's Andrew. I can give him a political question. <laughs> What effect, if any, does our relationship with the U.S. have on our timber prices? And, and give me a different answer than the first. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, has, it has a lot to do with it. Um, because, you know, the U.S. and Canada are always are trying to figure out their trade relations when it comes to wood products. Right. Especially, obviously, the softwood lumber uh, issues that are going on right now and, and, and tariffs and price tariffs. But at the same time, you know, for example, from an association standpoint, we're very close to, to our counterparts in the U.S. as well as the U.K. There is a lot of exchange of information. There's a lot of knowledge sharing. Uh, there's a lot of trust in what, what's happening out there. You know, the political games uh, that are happening are, are not at the manufacturing level. It's, it's at, the, uh, it's at the, 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 the diplomatic level right? and, and the, the politicians. So, you know, I think there's a lot still to work through in, in various areas around this stuff. And I'm not a... a Believe me, not an expert in this area whatsoever, but I do know that the the collaboration between the technology experts is is strong and very positive. So I think going forward, we're going to see some good right sizing of of supply and pricing and things like that. Okay, so what I'd like to say is uh, Andrew for Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> 
Andrew. I just know how to answer a question correctly. You did a great job. Listen, it's fun for me. I told Adam, it's like having a friend on and and someone I really respect. And, you know, one of my favorite words came out of uh, the time we spent together, us, which is (laughs) a wonderful greeting uh, in the world of uh, karate. So, Andrew, thanks so much. Say hi to to your wife. Uh, Wish your kids all the best at university. And, you know, maybe we can have you back in the future, you know, when things uh, change again. Okay. That sounds great. That sounds great, Howard. Thanks for everything and uh, all the best. And uh, congratulations on everything that you're up to as well. It's fantastic. Thanks so much, Andrew. Really appreciate it. Take care. Bye. See ya. We'd like to thank Andrew Bowerbank and you for joining us today. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please like, comment, and subscribe on your favorite podcast networks or on our YouTube channel. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do it two ways. One is by email info at rewithhd.com or on our website, rewithhd.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.